0: Welcome to the Hope and Reason Podcast, where we remember together the reasons for the hope we have in Jesus. I'm Elise Hurd. And I'm Becky Keefe. We're your hosts, and we are so glad you are here. This podcast is an invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear a true story about His real impact in our lives. Our heart is that these stories will recenter,
1: refocus, and refresh you. We want to remind you how much God loves you, how He is for you, and with you. Now let's
0: dive in. Hey friends, it's me, Elise, and today's episode contains part of my story, which touches on topics of sexual violence, drug abuse, abortion, and suicide attempts. And while I don't go into graphic detail and the focus and tone of the episode is about God's faithfulness and kindness towards me, this may not be appropriate for younger or more sensitive listeners. We hope you'll join us whenever you feel ready and able. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the very first episode of the Hope and Reason podcast. We are so excited you're here. I am your host, Elise Hurd, and this is my dear friend and co host, Becky Keith.
1: Hello. I am so excited to be here. One with you, Elise, because like this is a dream come true for us. But, friends, we are so excited that you are here, that you have decided to tune in. And we just know and trust that these next minutes are going to build your faith as we focus together on the goodness of God. And today's story is one that you do not want to miss because Elise is going to be sharing the story behind hope and reason. Because in a season of desperation, when rock bottom was deeper and darker than Elise could have ever imagined, Jesus saved her and gave her two words that changed everything. So if you're desperate for tangible hope in your life, you're going to want to turn up the volume because this story is for you.
0: Yeah. And as I think about you, I just I'm so aware that probably the things that eat away at your hope or that wear down your hope is not just one thing. It's probably cumulative. Things have a compound interest, kind of impact in your life. It was the same for me. I'm going to share a little bit about a dark night of the soul season, which that's kind of Christian-y language. It just means a time period for me that was really over a couple of years. It wasn't just one thing, but I want to give you the context for what led me to this kind of breaking point. So I will drop us into my story the summer before my senior year of high school. So I was 17 years old, and I had just broken up with a guy that I was just sure, as you are, that you're going to marry. Just a, a key person in my life. And um, the devastation from that, I decided to drink for the first time. I decided to go to a party and uh, where I thought I would be safe. And I invited a friend to come and be kind of the sober one of the night to make sure that I would be safe in that context. And I had never even touched alcohol before, so as I was drinking, looking back now, I realized I was blacked out before I even knew that I was feeling the effect of the liquor, because I just had drink after drink, and it was just, you know, it was in orange juice. It tasted like nothing to me. So it was a very brief night in my memory. The next thing I remember was waking up on my parents' couch, looking up at the ceiling and wondering what had happened. And the events unfolded throughout the day that a date rape situation had happened with the friend who I had asked to be there to care for me and to protect me. And I made a decision at that point to completely turn my back on Jesus. I'd honestly already been walking that direction for a few years. I almost just used it as an excuse, just as a legitimate excuse, like, I don't believe in you. I'm not going to follow you and I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. And so to say that my senior year was a hot mess is a complete understatement. I'm surprised I even graduated. I did though, I made it through, but because of the choices I had been making throughout that year, very shortly after I graduated, I found out that I was pregnant and I chose to have an abortion. Didn't put a lot of thought into it. It was just, I did not want to be a mother I, at that time, still planned to go to school out in California. I'd been accepted to five wonderful schools out in California. That was where I was born. I always wanted to go back, and after my abortion, I just didn't care. I had already been kind of on a self-destructive path, but an interesting thing happens. I've I've said it many times before that when i chose to have an abortion what i physically did was invite death inside my body what i didn't realize is that also made me spiritually dead it was beyond apathy it was just simply disconnecting completely disconnecting with my feelings it was a really bizarre thing that i just did not care what happened to me so i did not pursue attending college i decided to leave the city i went out on my own and began to just, um, so I moved from the Houston area to the Dallas area. I was still modeling full time and a pretty girl all alone in a city can get into a whole lot of trouble, especially when she has access to money and all of the substances and things that are available. And so I just went in this really self-destructive spiral. And Things got more and more messy in terms of relationships. Things got more and more critical in terms of my thoughts of self-harm, which had really kicked off around the time of my abortion. But again, I just didn't care. I was doing whatever I felt like on a daily basis. And so somewhere around the fall of when I was 19 years old, so here we are about a year later after I'd graduated and I find out that I am pregnant again. And I said at that time, after my first abortion, I had said, I'm never going to do that again. It was a terrible experience. I I went alone. And so I did not have any pain medication. I was not sedated. I drove myself away from that appointment. And so I remember vividly all the aspects of that surgical procedure, and I'd said, I'm never going to do that again. And so And here I am a year later finding out I'm pregnant again, and I hardly even thought about it. I just hear myself like a robot recalling the number and scheduling another abortion. And so it was set for about a week out. And the next day or the next couple of days later, I got a call from my parents, which was really surprising because we were not in touch. They had no idea what was going on in my life. Again, I lived in a different city. Social media was not a thing at this time. So I was not posting about my lifestyle. The only person that knew about the pregnancy was my best friend at the time. And she was not in contact with my parents. So to get this call out of the blue from them was unsettling to me in that moment. And I hear my dad asking me to come out to dinner with him and my mom. And I... uh Didn't want to do that either. But again, I hear myself agreeing to it like, yes, I'll come down. I'll go to dinner with you guys. And so I drive down to Houston, find myself sitting at dinner with them. And they just cut right to the chase. They just looked at me and they said, is there anything that you want to tell us? Is there anything that you want to share with us? Because we want you to know that we love you and we are there for you no matter what. And so then they just waited and looked at me. And I distinctly remember thinking, God just told on me to my parents. Like, I knew that they knew that somehow that they knew I was to find out later that my mom, who had no relationship with, that she had been very faithfully praying for me. And then in one of her prayer times that God had told her specifically and directly, Elise is pregnant and she's considering an abortion. And because my dad had the better relationship with me, she asked him to call me and to set up the dinner. And we did. So I didn't know that at the time. But so they're sitting there looking at me. And I just we were at a Italian restaurant and I just dipped my loaf of bread into the olive oil and herbs and stuffed them in my mouth and just ate a whole lot of that bread and just said, Nope, I have nothing to say. Everything's fine. Everything's going great. But I walked out of that restaurant and away from that dinner, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God saw me that he wanted me to keep that baby. And so I got into my car in the parking lot and I just raged internally at God. I do not want to keep this baby. I do not believe in you. I do not love you. I do not want relationship with you. I'm not going to do it. Was the basic point. And so I pick up my phone. I call my friend And I say, hey, I need to make myself go through with this abortion. Let's, you know, get some drugs and because then I'll just have in my mind like something could potentially, you know, happen to with the baby and I wouldn't want that to be the case. So it'll make me go through with the abortion. So my friend gets some drugs. We meet up that night and I remember so clearly standing you know, nose to nose with a mirror, with a full length mirror, looking at my eyes and seeing them fully dilated. And this was supposed to be my escape from thinking about the situation that I was in. And, and I wasn't feeling anything I should have been feeling. It was just like God staring at me saying, I want you to keep that baby. Like it's time to turn back to me. Not in those words. It was just a knowing. I see you. I'm here. It's time. Well, I am quite stubborn. And my answer to that was a resounding no. Um, and so I continued to wrestle with God all night and just could not escape that feeling that he wanted me to keep the baby. And so I ended up deciding, okay, well, if I can't do this, if I, if I have to keep, I can't, I can't keep this baby. I'm just going to end my life. That was the conclusion I came to. I just went into a back room all by myself. And while I don't get specific about this part, cause it's not beneficial, for things the enemy could use in others' imaginations at vulnerable points in their life. I tried over and over, well over 10 times, well over a dozen times. I don't know how many times. Over and over, I did my best to end my life. And then I would, when my eyes would open up again, and I would realize I was still breathing, I was just, it was just God again saying, like, I see this experience now from the perspective of a parent, like God was in the room just Holding me, they're with me, loving me, like just not letting me go. I can't imagine the heartbreak, but that he was experiencing, but it was just, no, he was keeping me alive. And so I wrestled with God all night long. The morning rolls around, the sun is coming up, all the drugs and everything are wearing off. And I talk with my friend for a long time. It was like a It was a multiple hour conversation about all the reasons why I should not keep this baby, because really for me, I knew that that also meant turning back to God. I knew that that meant pursuing truth and relationship with him and that it wasn't just about saying yes to being a single mom as I knew that I would be. But So after several hours of conversation with her, I finally said out loud, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep this baby. And as soon as I said those words, God dropped two words in my mind, hope and reason. And I had no idea at the time what that meant. I had no idea that he was reintroducing himself as hope and as the reason for my hope. I had no idea he was reintroducing a sane way of thinking and of understanding the world and just complete newness. But in that moment when he said hope and reason, I just heard those words and I knew they were the first two words. Again, in my mind, it wasn't anything out loud, but it was definitely from the Spirit of God directly within my spirit, the words hope and reason. So I walked out, I went to my parents, told them the truth about everything that had been happening in my life for the last several years, and they made a safe space for me to be a single mom until I got married when my oldest daughter who is now 18 years old, glorious 18 year old girl. She was three and a half years old when I got married. And if God doesn't have a sense of humor, let me tell you, I started off with rejecting motherhood. And then here we go. Now I have seven kids and they are amazing. And I never would have thought that would have been a part of my story, but it just turns out that um, God knows us even better than we know ourselves. And he knew that it would be the absolute joy and delight of my life to be a mom to these seven kids now. And he knew all along from that moment of me like barely being sober and of like speaking his promise to me, hope and reason. He knew everything that he had planned for that because since that time is about 19 years ago now, since that time, God has unfolded for me over and over again. Things It's kind of summed up in the verse, it's 1 Peter 3, 15, where God talks about always being prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have and to do it with gentleness and respect, which is so beautifully done through sharing our stories, sharing our personal experiences. And as God's helped me to start to see that, that those reasons that we have hope or a lack of it are based in our stories, started to equip me over this, really it's been, you know. The last decade has been really intense, but about a 15 year period of helping other people recognize their core stories, the reasons why they have hope in Jesus, helping people write those and speak them and share them with others and really just remember them so that they don't slip into a place of discouragement or what I like to call spiritual Alzheimer's. And so God could see all of that at that time, which is what I love so much about him because we often think we have to have it together. And he spoke that promise to me in that moment where no one would have said, where people would not have said I was qualified for motherhood, much less any kind of ministry or leadership or, you know, even self, <laughs> self-care self and guidance at that time. But God sees it all from that moment. So that's my hope and reason. It's a little bit of my hope and reason story where those words come from.
1: Wow, Elise. Anyone else just need to like take a breath and soak all of that in? Isn't God's love relentless? Isn't God's love intentional and personal? And Elise, you know, this is not the first time I'm hearing your story, but I never cease just to be awestruck by the fact that like the gospel is lived out like in your life that you know Jesus says so clearly like I came you know not for the righteous but for the unrighteous like he is the father who runs out when the prodigal comes home he is the good shepherd who chases down the one lost sheep and that's just what I what I hear when I hear how God pursued you and not only like literally saved Selah's life, the life of your daughter, saved your own life from a life of 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 drugs and alcohol and self-harm and 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 death. But like saving you from death was like the bare minimum. Like he has given you like abundant life, life to the full, and set you on this mission of helping others find the reason that they have hope. And really that's just finding Jesus, seeing him in our very real, raw, gritty, messy, rock bottom moments and seeing how he wants to redeem them. And so I just thank you. I just thank you, my friend, for being bold and courageous
0: and willing to share your story. Yeah. Well, it's God's love that makes us bold and courageous because that is not natural to me, but he definitely makes us new. And that's just something that I love and appreciate so much about him. You mentioned the prodigal son story where the father's running out to him. That story is so significant to me because the prodigal son comes back aware of all that he's squandered and wasted and all he's messed up. And he comes back knowing that his father is a source of provision and that it will be better than anything he's had out there. But he wants to come back as a servant. And before he has done anything, he d- the son doesn't go through a 12-step program. He doesn't prove anything. He doesn't, he comes back like a dirty, hot mess. And in that moment, the father runs out to him and embraces him right then and there and is like, Not a servant, my child. Like he puts his cloak on him, his ring on him. He, so it was very much the same way between God and eyes. It was like, You're not just, this is not like a servant relationship. Like you are my beloved child. I've just been waiting. I've been looking, even while you were still a really, really long way off. Because my turning back to God in that moment, it wasn't all just uphill from there. That was what I definitely call a rock bottom moment for me. But what I have found and discovered is there are usually multiple kind of rock bottom moments. Because if you would, if you can visualize someone like digging down through the dirt, like to get down to a rock, You think of it as the foundation of a house. There's like a whole lot of cement or rock that needs to be there for the base, for that foundation. And so that was like my first time striking rock bottom and God was there. It's like I thought... I was digging a pit for myself. And then that turned into a grave for myself. But Jesus was right there next to me. And this is what I've encouraged a lot of other parents who their kids are, you know, going off the deep end or doing things as well, is it's like they are not digging alone. Like there can be a whole lot of dirt in between you and where you need to get to understanding that Jesus is the rock, that he is the firm foundation, and he will dig right alongside you and get be shoveling all of that dirt out of the way until you hit that foundation. And I had other times where we had to work our way around. There's a, a C.S. Lewis quote that I love that talks about basically surrendering your life to the Lord and, and you assume that he's going to come in and, and build some like quaint little cottage But and so you expect certain things to happen, like he's going to fix this problem or fix that problem. But then these other things in your life that are quite a bit more painful that you didn't expect, it's because God is not just building a little cottage. He's making it a palace. He's making you into a palace where he can come and live. And so that's definitely what God was doing in my life.
1: Well, I just love that like you're turning upside down the image of what it means to hit rock bottom. Like we think of this as like our lowest low and while on the one sense it is, but to to imagine Jesus digging with you and that it's not for our ultimate destruction or demise, but it's for our, our ultimate redemption to get to a place where we realize like, we cannot climb out of this pit on our own. And Jesus is not is saying, like, you don't have to, because actually this is this is the beginning. I love, I've said before that the end of our rope is the beginning of God's grace. And it's that that same image of like when there's nothing left. I mean, Elise, you talked about like literally like disassociating from from your body, from your feelings, from, you know, just being numb, inviting death into your body, having a spiritual death. Like there's you like you had no more to lose. Like you were willing to lose everything. And that it was that very place that Jesus said, and here I am. And from this pit. It's actually going to be this firm foundation on which you're not only going to stand and live, but you're going to thrive and you're going to build a life that points to him, that gives glory to him. And it's, it's miraculous. Like it is, it's, it's miraculous.
0: Sometimes when I have had the privilege to give a keynote message and I'll go stand on stage, I just want to start by telling people, if you knew what even a miracle it was that I'm just standing here, like your faith in God would go up. Because again, it was that moment, but it's been a thousand moments since where he has continued to show his kindness and his gentleness and helping me understand who he is and how much he loves me. Because that's really what changes everything is understanding how much he loves you and this story for me is foundational, not only because it's when I finally surrendered and said, okay, but because as I look forward to the things that God is calling me to do, like I know God is calling you to do really big things, Becky. I know lots of other women who I lead that he is calling in their homes, in their um, spheres of work, in friend relationships. He is calling people to some some really big things. and For me, it's such a big encouragement to remember this story. And to remember that God is absolutely willing to work with your half-hearted yes, because that's definitely all I gave him at the time, And that it is God who makes us wholehearted. He is the one who makes you wholehearted. And so as I face, you know, certain fears or unknowns or question marks now, I know that it just has to be, and I would just say, okay, yes, you know, you're just trusting him with the little bit that you have. And then. He shows you how trustworthy he is. And it has reminded me, I've thought many times of that scene in Francine Rivers' book, Redeeming Love. I remember reading that. It was so many years ago. I don't remember the first time I read it. I've read it a couple of times. But there is a particularly fascinating scene to me, which reminds me of my hope and reason story, where Angel is what she's called at the time. So she's in a life of prostitution. And she has basically she's given up as well at this point in her story she would just like to check out also and she basically invites someone in the in the scenario to just beat her up it just almost takes her out and then the the Jesus character in this story it's reflective of the book of Hosea and so his name is Michael Hosea so Michael comes into the room and he's been wanting to pull angel out of this scenario that she's been in she she has chosen not to leave with him previously though he has made offers and he's again he's the jesus character he's the good guy he's he's coming in and she's in this terrible state and he is asking her again like be my wife come have this covenant relationship with me come out of this scenario and i was so fascinated to see what her response would be in that place where she's totally beat up she just doesn't care she literally says to him she goes why not and it's like Mm. good enough ring on the finger Taking you out of here, I will care for you and love you until you learn how to care for you and love you and see yourself rightly and all of those things. And so sometimes I think we misunderstand that... (laughs) that God needs us just to be, you know, all in and that's where we want to get but we don't get there without giving him just the the little half-hearted yes or the why not or the, you know, whatever yeah. it is that we have to give and then he leads us into trusting him completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, talk about a half-hearted yes, why not? Like yeah. and 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 like you said like God ultimately wants all of us mm-hmm. but he He's willing to take just that that little bit, that one step towards him, that half turn, you know, away from our sin towards him. Yeah, that's a powerful book. Okay, Lisa, I have a question. So, hope and reason. As you reflect back on this, you know, key story in the book of your life, so to speak, what reasons do you give? Do you remind yourself of that you hope in Jesus? Like when things get hard, or even, you know, and you think about the the year or two or three after you're turning back. Like you said, it wasn't like a miraculous, like, ta-da, now like life is perfect. No, it was and not. <laughs> I, you know, I never sin and I don't struggle. And like, no, like your life was in shambles. Like it takes a long time for like the carpenter to reconstruct and restore. But like to think about okay on a daily basis now or even in the past like what are the reasons that you have hope based upon your personal experience with jesus
0: oh so many but i think again the starting point for me is that he just loves me no matter what just no matter what he is kind forever and for always and no matter what. And because of that kindness, I'm safe enough to be real with him. And because I'm safe enough to be real with him, we can have conversations that actually get somewhere. And because he he, he just lets me know, like, I see the real you anyways. I see all of you anyways. And I love you right now. That kind of love takes out a whole lot of fear of just showing up and when you just show up and are in the presence of God. And when you're willing to, a lot of times we, we talk a lot out of fear. When you're in a safe place, you're in a place where you can listen. And so his love has made it to where I can listen to him. So that's like through reading the Bible and hearing him speak through others, whether that's sermons, songs have been a very powerful thing. These are all things that remind me of God's love. And that love is the key reason that I have hope and it shows up in a thousand different ways, but that's it in a nutshell, his love. Mm. God's love is the key reason
1: that we can have hope. Um, I think you said it so beautifully. I recently heard, I don't know if I read it or someone said it, I should go back and try to find it, but... Someone said, you know, they, they always knew that, that God saved them, but they didn't always realize that he loved them. Yeah. And I think that when we start to, to recognize his active, pursuant
0: love of us, like it does, it changes, it changes everything. There's a scripture that says, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And those mm-hmm. two things go together. He knows you need rescue and he delights in you. Like it's not like I only like you later. It's like I love you and I mm-hmm. delight in you right now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's the message version of of in Psalm 23 many versions will say like your goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, but the message version I believe says your beauty and love chase after me. Mm-hmm. And I love just that picture of like active, intentional pursuing, and that's and that's who God is, and that's why I'm so excited to be doing this Hope and Reason podcast because, friends, this is what you are going to hear in this season of the of the podcast is is real life stories about how God's love in you know Elisa's story today was it's radical, like it's 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 a big hard deep, dramatic story, and God's love shows up there, but it also shows up in our very small, everyday, kind of mundane moments, and we're going to be talking about it all.
0: Yes, we are, and we are so glad that you're here, friends. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that God has life-changing good plans for you this year and that in order to fully step into the next level abundance that he has for you, you will need strong foundations of knowing and remembering who God is and what he has done for you. We believe that God wants to reveal his heart to you through the stories that we'll share on this podcast. So make sure to subscribe to the Hope and Reason podcast and tune in when a new episode is available to you, which will be next Thursday. And until then, remember, you are so, so loved.